You're listening to Are You Happy Business Podcast on Captivate. Hello, Are You Happy Podcast. I'm here today with Dr. Shinner Er. He is a relationship coach, executive coach, and many more things. He doesn't really like the labels, but he helps people, um, all kinds of people in their lives to create happiness in a variety of different ways. Um, I don't want to introduce him because he could do a better job introducing himself. Um, he's a man that needs really no introduction. Um, doctor, would you mind just sharing a little bit about what you do and giving us some background? Like what is your origin story and how, how'd you get here? Yeah, sure. Just call me John. That's easiest. Um, so I, at the age of 17, I was doing all this stuff in order to be, I think to be loved and have the attention of my parents really, cause they were kind of high achievers, overachievers, very driven. And so at the age of 17, I was student body president. I was captain of three varsity teams. I was doing advanced classes and I'm sure it looked great from the outside, but my internal experience was I was tired all the time. I was stressed a lot. I was anxious a lot. I was depressed some of the time I was kind of chasing my depression away by achieving. Um, and then generally I was just kind of miserable and it made me question this whole idea of success at a very young age, because I was thinking, where's there a room in this idea of success? for things like happiness, contentment, relaxation, and so on. Um, and it, it worked. I got into a good college, eventually got a PhD at Cal, UC Berkeley in, in psychology. Um, but the, the real reason I went into psychology was all about emotion because the dumbest, most embarrassing, shameful stuff that I've done in my life all happened when my emotional mind was in charge of me. Anger, sadness, boredom, excitement, you know, you name it. It wasn't when I was calm, cool, and collected or rational. And so I really kind of wanted to find out more about this emotional side of me, which I couldn't really seem to get a handle on. Um, fast forward, I, I've done a lot of things. I was a school psychologist. I did a radio show. I opened up private practice. I started with positive psychology, which is the scientific study of happiness, positive emotions, meaning and purpose, positive relationships, positive institutions, and so on. But the response in 2005 was lukewarm. and so. I shifted to anger management, which really started me working with men. And I realized pretty quickly that my business model is no bueno in that I have to work an hour to get paid an hour. So if I go on vacation or I get sick, no money. So I started looking at ways to monetize my knowledge for the web. And I was getting some advice and they said, find a niche. And I was like, okay, I'll do online anger management classes for men. And so I recorded a 15 hour online anger class. I put it all up. I went live with it, immediately started getting emails from angry women all around the world. Kind of like, Hey buddy, we're pissed off too. What about us? (laughs) It wasn't about you. It wasn't personal. They just told me to find a niche, but I I changed it and, you know, kind of made it for everyone because I don't like people being mad at me, which is funny that I did anger management anyway. Um, And so I did that for about 10 years and got tired of it after a minute and started seeing more executives and businessmen and high performers and realized pretty quickly that in my opinion, the biggest source of their pain was at home in their relationship. So I started teaching them relationship skills and ways to be better in relationship, which funnily enough, also applied to everything that they were doing at work and the relationships at work and to their parenting. It just applied. All the tools seemed to apply across the board. And that led to this more recent work in masculinity, 
and the idea of man box culture, which is this idea of how we are socialized as boys and young men at a very young age, it starts about four or five, as soon as we start getting into groups of boys, so think preschool and kindergarten, that we start policing ourselves and we start training ourselves on the rules of what it means to be a real man. And this may come from your dad, it may not, it may come from your mom, may not, but it certainly comes from peers and friends and media. And the rules are things like, don't back down, be aggressive, compete, win, um, dominate women, uh, be self-reliant, be the provider, be stoic. And there, there's some good and some bad in there. Um, and I think you kind of have to parse it down into individual rules and look at them on a one to 10 scale, but we don't have time to go into that. But the biggest problem for me is this idea of be stoic or don't feel. And if, if you're a man and you want to be happier, in my opinion, you have to deal with this shit. And, and here's why, because when we're younger, think middle school, high school, but I've gotten it all the way up to the fifties. If you show too much sadness or fear in front of others, and could be male, could be female, inevitably you will get something like, dude, don't be a little girl. The message there is don't be feminine. And I don't think it takes many times of getting that where like, shit, that hurts. That's embarrassing. I'm never showing that again. And you jump back in the man box. On the other side of the emotional spectrum, if you show too much joy, love, romanticism, excitement, flamboyance, God forbid, you get something like, dude, don't be so gay. Again, then you jump back in the man box. You're like, I'm never showing that again. And what are we left with that we can publicly display without fear of humiliation? I would say it's three things. Lust, because if I say, oh man, she's so hot, I do her, it signals that I'm straight. Stress, because if I tell you, Dibran, I'm so stressed, it's kind of saying I'm busy or important. And the third one, the big one is anger. And our, for most of us men, the primary emotion, the signature emotion is anger. Some degree of anger, irritability, frustration, annoyance, all the way up to rage. And most of our emotions get funneled through that anger lens. And the problem going back to the original idea is that if I want to be a successful and happy man, I've got to deal with this because I've already years ago cut myself off from two thirds of the emotional spectrum, including most of the positive emotions. I do have a question about yeah. uh, it pertains to like the stoicism piece because I got into a little well, be stoic is different than stoicism, just to clarify. Okay. I see what you're saying. So be stoic I guess, is don't feel. Uh-huh. Stoicism's a little bit different, actually much different. I guess the piece that I took from stoicism that I sort of implemented was to just as best you can and not not show anger and not express it is what I took from it from a young age when I learned it. Um and then there was a point in time where I started to express anger and then it became like, um, like, like a uh, repetitive, like if you yeah. express anger today, then it almost becomes addictive and you express it again tomorrow and then, and then the next day and the next day. But for that period that I, I was really not expressing anger and trying to be in line with stoicism, I really didn't express anger for so long, but I felt like it became pent up and it just yeah. stayed in. So what is your, what's your take on that? Do you encourage people to, express anger in a particular way when they are angry with something. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's, it's interesting because I think all of our first strategy is bury it, stuff it down. And that is not an effective strategy, but we've all tried it. Um, 
because emotions are too powerful. They're going to, they accumulate and they're going to come out and bite you in the ass at some point. And usually with that strategy, it's going to come out loud and strong and scary. Um, and yeah, so I, I think, you know, the best way to deal with these uncomfortable emotions is to be self-aware, to be aware when they're arising, ideally in the moment, which takes some practice. Oh, I'm getting a little bit annoyed. Like, I wonder what's going on. Like my chest is getting tight or my, my breathing is getting shallow or I'm, I'm clenching my fists. You know, you can use bodily tells to figure out what you're feeling in the moment. And then you label it. Oh, okay. I'm getting a little bit annoyed. And then you speak to it and you speak to it early. So you don't let these little drops of annoyance accumulate so that you're displacing anger on the wrong person, wrong place, wrong time to the wrong degree. I mean, Aristotle said that the hardest thing to do is to get angry with someone to the right degree in the right manner, right place, right person. That, that is a pretty difficult task. It's hard. I feel like the right time is the most difficult piece of that. Like when is, is, is it the right time to say it right away? If you, if you think you can do it in a poised way yeah, or is the right time to do it a little later on? Well, and, and usually I would say at the right time is to do it a little bit later on, but it, it depends because it's all about setting boundaries and, and teaching people how to treat you largely. Um, and, and so a lot of times it's best to calm down and then speak to it. Mm. But I, I, I mean, just to speak to it, you know, like, hey, Debron, you know, it annoys me a little bit when you're late to our meeting. You know, that, mm. that's not a big deal but it takes practice. But then I don't sit on the resentment or annoyance because you're 10 minutes late to our meeting. So yeah. even if you still come late, at least I'm speaking my truth to you because I can't necessarily change your behavior, but I can tell you how it makes me feel. Mm. I mean, hopefully you'll change your behavior, but there's no guarantees. Yeah. That's a better way to go about it, especially because you don't want to like put your um, fulfillment into someone else changing their behavior. Yeah, exactly. But can you speak to a little bit more about, um, your business and some of the people that you work with and how you help them? Um, you told me earlier that you provide a wide range of services. Um, but it's all because you're trying to get people access at different price points because you think the information you're providing is very valuable. And so do I, um, you said you do individual coaching, group coaching, online courses, and you have your podcast as well. Um, but before the call, you also told me you work with some pretty high um, net worth individuals and pretty like important people. Um, would you mind telling me like some of the work you do? Sure. I mean, I, I think just to begin, the, the podcast is The Evolved Caveman, and that's simply an offering, I, you know, because I think, you know, this, this podcast is about being happy, right? And to me, one of the key, the foundational pillars to happiness is having meaning and purpose in your life. And I've, I've thought a lot about this and I've talked to a lot of experts on my podcast, including three whose life work is meaning and purpose. And I've asked them all the same question that this idea of, you know, is there a better meaning and purpose than serving others? If you want a happy and fulfilling life. And everyone has agreed with me that that's the one that's what you want to pursue. Now you can do that in different ways, but it's gotta be self-transcendent. It has to be bigger than self. So I think a lot of us mistakenly pursue things like wealth, power, fame, but that's all about me if I'm doing that. And I've seen it over and over and over again. 
I've got men coming in that are worth tens or hundreds of millions of dollars in their fifties that are like, John, I did it all right. And I'm miserable. What's going on? And, and part of it is there's no meaning or purpose there. Part of it, the relationships at home are a mess. Part of it is that they don't even find the work that meaningful. You know, if you're selling paper clips or ball bearings and you're making a shit ton of money, it's great to have the money. I'm not opposed to money, but there has to be more than just the money. So, what was, yeah. oh, so, so there's the podcast. There's, yeah. um, yeah, I, I offer anger management class online, a positive psych class, an anxiety class. Um, and those are kind of, those are modestly priced. And then to work with me individually is, is more so. And I mean, some of the stuff I've done is pretty fascinating just from, I mean, I used to be, I'm a geek in a number of ways. So I could do SEO. I could, you know, throw up a website. I'm an emotion geek. I'm a Marvel superhero geek. I'm a comic book geek. Like there's a lot of ways I'm a geek animation. Um, geek is just something I'm interested in and proud of which, you know, when I was younger, I was interested in, but not proud of. So it's a little different. Um, I think I was embarrassed by, and so, um, what about social media? You left that out. You do SEO websites. Yeah. I I just, I mean, I kind of do social media. I'm on Instagram and LinkedIn and Twitter and Facebook. Mm Uh, but I, I use it to push out information. Um, but I, I, so after I put this anger management class online, I was really good at search engine optimization and got like, I dominated the first two pages on Google, like 80% of the listings were me on the first two pages. And so a couple things happened. One is there was a point at which I got a letter or an email and it said, dear Dr. Schinner, er, thank you so much for the free online anger management classes. Uh, I've been in prison for 27 years, been addicted to meth and PCP for as long turned my life around six years ago, no longer wish to be the man I once was. Uh, thank you so much and signs it. And I, I don't know who this guy is. So I fire back an email. Hey, good job turning your life around. Keep up the good work. You're an inspiration. I go see a client. An hour later, I come back and there's a response from this dude. And I'm like, huh? Who has email access in prison? And it says, dear John, this isn't my real name. My handlers won't let me use my real name. Look up the books, The Black Hand and Urban Street Terrorism. That's me. Once you do a little research, I'm sure you'll understand why I can't use my real name. And I was like, damn, this guy's good. Because now I'm curious. So The Black Hand's about this guy, Rene Boxer Enriquez, who was in the Mexican Mafia. Mexican Mafia started out as a prison gang in LA. Rene helped grow it into an international crime syndicate with over 150,000 gang members paying homage to them, including MS 13s. Um, and he turned out to be top five in the Mexican mafia, murdered 12 people, uh, most of whom were in prison. And so I got to work with him for a minute, which was pretty fascinating. And he's since turned on the Mexican mafia and now teaches a course at, uh, UC Irvine does trainings for, you know, chief police chiefs and FBI and, and so on. Um, and then Shortly after that, I got a call. A lady was saying, Hey, I'm an executive assistant here at Pixar. Um, can you talk to a producer here? <laughs> I'm like, Yeah, sure. And I'm thinking, you know, maybe he maybe he's stressed or maybe he's depressed. Like, yeah, anger. I don't know. And he gets on the phone, he goes, Hey, this is Jonas Rivera. I produced this movie called Up. Maybe you've heard of it. I'm like, 
as I said, I'm an animation geek. So I was like, yeah, I think I own it. I knew damn well. I owned it. I was trying to play it cool. Um, and he goes, oh, good, good, good. Me and Pete Doctor, Pete directed up. Um, we're working on a new project and we were wondering if you'd come down and kick some ideas around with us. And I was like, yeah, I think I can fit that in my calendar. And, and so I got to go down and consult on Inside Out. No way. That's my favorite kids movie. Uh, it's, it's, it's incredible. And, and I'm, I mean, I just had a tiny part in it and I'm really honored to have had that part because I think it gives an entire generation or two or three, it normalizes the voices in our heads. And it also gives us language to talk about what's going on in our heads. It gives us permission. And that's a huge bonus, huge, hugely beneficial. Um, and then beyond that, you know, I, I see I've had guys that are special ops that, you know, have come back from three, four five tours of duty, uh, you know, like leading army ranger units. And now they're trying to adjust to civilian life with, you know, a wife and a, an infant. That's a tough transition. And then I've got guys that are worth, you know, that are really successful in business that are worth a lot of money and either are trying to be better leaders or trying to be more successful in their relationships at home. Because one of the things that is interesting about this man box idea is that rule of be the provider for the family, which I think in general is a really good value. The problem is that if you look on it, at it on a one to 10 scale, a lot of us take it all the way to the 10. And so, you know, we get married, we have kids, we're working our ass off in the workplace and we lose sight of the fact that the very people that we once set out to provide for are slowly becoming more resentful because we're spending all of our time and energy and attention at the office and there's nothing left for them. And so now, you know, your wife becomes resentful and annoyed. Your teenage kids despise you or resent you or are angry with you. And what started out as a really good value gets warped and cancerous over 20 or 30 years. But, you know, you can see with a lot of men, like, if I'm a man working in corporate world and I'm climbing the ladder, I'm respected, I'm valued, I'm admired, I'm listened to at the office. It's a little bit of a paramilitary hierarchy, right? At home, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what's expected of me. I don't know the rules. I don't know the game. I don't know how to be very good in interpersonal relationships. I don't know how to deal with people that don't listen to me or are angry at me and voicing that. And so you spend more and more time at the office as a result. Hmm. That makes, that makes total sense. They don't, they can't navigate their at home life. So they spend more yeah. time. At the office. And, and one of the things I love about this man box idea that I tell men and women all the time is look, this is not your fault. You did not ask to be socialized like this. It just happens. However, it is your responsibility to find ways to evolve beyond it. If you want to be happy. If you don't want to be happy, do whatever you're doing. Yeah. It's about, you know, rewiring the brain that was, that yeah. was trained to think that way from a young age. Because the, the thing that frustrates me about it is I think we're fed this bullshit story from a really young age, right? Get good grades, get into a good college, you get married, have kids, climb the corporate ladder, retire at 65, and then you'll be happy. And it doesn't work that way. I mean, we know from meta analyses that success follows happiness most times. And we've got it backwards. We think that if we're successful and we make money and we get respected and we get powerful and famous, then we'll be happy. But we've, we've never learned the tools 
to be happy. The steps are to find the purpose first, find the happiness first, and then the money and success. Yeah. Learn to enjoy the journey, learn to spot and savor positive emotions, learn to uh, set up circumstances in your life so that you experience positive emotions more frequently, learn to surround yourself with positive relationships, uh, learn to find meaning in your work, learn to find meaning in your life. I mean, there's a lot of things you can do, um, but no one ever, we just weren't taught this stuff growing up. Hmm. If you can narrow it down to the, before we go, cause I know we're um, about to close here. Um, if you can narrow it down to one piece of advice you could give to someone that's struggling with happiness, what would it be? Um, that's one of our, our staple questions with, um, the, are you happy channel? Yeah, I think um, it's a great question. I, I think that the number one, the first skill <clears throat> that I teach to every client is you got to become more self-aware and, and here's the problem. The research shows that 95% of us will self-report being highly self-aware. Oh yeah, dude, I'm so self-aware. I'm so emotionally intelligent. I know everything that's going on with me. Bullshit. The research also shows that it's only about 12 to 15% of us that are actually self-aware. That is a huge delta. Huge. And if you're not self-aware, if you don't know what your patterns are, if you don't even know what the behaviors you need to change are, there's no possibility you're ever going to change them. And that's why I think this man box idea is a real problem because if anger is our signature emotion, the biggest dynamic with anger is if you and I are angry at each other, I'm externalizing all blame onto you. If you just stop being such a fill in the blank, I wouldn't be so pissed off. And that completely robs me of the ability to introspect and to look at my part in this drama. And what am, what am I doing to cause this or, you know, feed this, or what can I do to change? And, and so I, I think self-awareness is the first step and the easiest way to gain more self-awareness and by extension, metacognition or, or thinking about thinking kind of psychological distance from your thought stream is to simply pause and ask yourself three times a day, what am I feeling right now? And just do a quick body scan, check into your body, see where you're getting sensations. Is your stomach tight? Is your chest tight? Is your throat constricted? What's the blood flow doing? What's your heart rate doing? What's your breathing? Is it shallow or relaxed? And here's the beautiful thing about this study is that it, it's been shown that the answer doesn't matter. You don't even have to come up with an answer. What's important about it is the process of stopping, pausing, and doing a brief body scan to figure out what's going on with me right now. What am I feeling? And so I, I think self-awareness is a big part of it. I think learning greater emotional granularity and being curious about emotions and getting greater specificity about what it is you're feeling in the moment. So, you know, we start out as good versus bad. And then we've got like, happy, angry, sad. And then can you keep digging down like into anger? Like what, what's the more accurate anger? Is it annoyed, frustrated, enraged, resentful, disappointed? What is it with sad? Are you melancholy? Are you depressed? Are you suicidal? And with happy, are you joyful? Are you relaxed? Are you content? Are you curious? Are you interested? Are you feeling awe? Are you feeling elevation? Are you feeling wonder? And, and so that's a really important part too. 
Hmm. What was your role in the Inside Out? What was like your biggest impact? Uh, was, were you a part, a part of the anger piece a lot? Yeah, I was teaching mostly about anger. That makes sense. And yeah, so to me, it's, it's a two, you know, this question of how can we be happier is really twofold. It's how can I turn down the volume on the negative stuff, guilt, shame, anger, fear, sadness, anxiety, stress. And how can I turn down the volume on self-limiting beliefs? I'm not worthy. I'm a piece of shit. I'm an idiot, that kind of stuff. And then how can we turn up the volume on the positive, positive emotions, positive thoughts, meaning, purpose, positive relationships, those kind of things. That's a, that's my question is how, how do you make those positive thoughts come up more? And then- I think, I think mantras are a good way to do it. I mean, I love one of my favorite forms of meditation is loving kindness meditation because of the phrasing of the thoughts in the meditation. And there's, there's something like, may I be happy? May I be healthy? May I live with ease and well-being? but you can, you can use that same phrasing for a variety of things. May I feel worthy? May I feel worthy of love? May I feel worthy of success? May I feel worthy of happiness? And, and so I tell clients like, write this shit down on post-its and put it everywhere. <laughs> and I've had clients, I'm like, put it on your computer, put it on your bathroom mirror. And they're like, well, what if someone sees it? I'm like, great. They need this shit too. <laughs> we all need it. And, you know, so that's part of it. I think surrounding or like a media diet is part of it. So cutting down the negativity going into your mind and then begin reading stuff that has these messages in it. Um, and then, you know, I think a big part of it, as I said earlier, is knowing what the positive emotions are and then looking to spot them throughout your day-to-day existence and savoring them or stretching out the amount of time that you can sit with them. Because we know that the negative emotions are, they're loud, they're vicious, they yell at you. They're not bashful. You know damn well when you're really angry or when you're really depressed or when you're really anxious. The positive emotions, on the other hand, they whisper to you. They're fleeting. They're fragile. They're quiet. And so we got to get better at spotting them because I think most of us don't even know when we're sitting on top of a positive emotion. And if you don't know, what's the point? You don't have self awareness. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's true for a lot of us that we're not even aware when we're smack in the face with a positive emotion. So a lot of your advice to give to the rest of the world is to be more self-aware so that you can notice these positive things that are happening and sort of highlight them and um, sit with them a little bit more. Obviously, yeah. sit with negative thoughts as well, but trying to um, turn up the volume on those positive times. Yeah, and, and I, I think the other part is taken from mindfulness, which is allow whatever's arising in your mind or in your heart, allow whatever's arising to arise without judgment. So, you know, you use the example earlier of anger, right? You get angry. You're like, oh, shit, I shouldn't feel that. I'm going to stuff it down. That's a judgment about anger. And I can't tell you how many judgments we have as men about, like, I just was leading a men's group last night. I was asking what the most difficult emotion that they experience. What's the hardest emotion to share with others? And it was shame, guilt, unworthiness, loneliness, feeling less than. And, you know, like shame, for example, shame doesn't hold up well to the light of day. But we're too ashamed about our shame to share it. 
So it locks itself into place, mm. leading to feelings of unworthiness and disconnection. And we've got an epidemic of disconnection going on, particularly for men, that really we got to work on. Yeah. So I'm sorry, I, I could talk about this stuff forever. No, no, I love it. I love just letting you talk. This is awesome. We're getting a lot of really good information. Um, I don't want to take too much um, of your time. We, I think we're going a little bit over just because it's so interesting to hear what you have to say about the happiness and all of these other pieces. Um, I guess before we go, I do have to ask you, are you happy? I've never been happier. I, I don't think. So just to be clear, when I'm talking about happiness, I'm talking about contentment. So if you think of moods or emotions on a one to 10 scale with one being like suicidally depressed and 10 being manically happy, happy, five being neutral, I'm shooting for a six because what goes up comes down. And so I'm looking for meaning. I'm looking for purpose. I'm looking for frequent infusion of positive emotions, which I control a lot of in my day-to-day -day existence. And I'm looking to surround myself with positive relationships. And I've never been better at those things than I am now at 55. Hmm. Now, that doesn't mean that I don't get sad. I don't, I mean, I still get sad. I still get angry. I still get anxious at times. I still feel guilt. I still feel shame very infrequently. But I'm also better at being aware of it, labeling it, and sitting with it and not judging it. Because so I'm human, damn it. You've been able to cultivate a fact which really pisses me off. What'd you say? A fact which really pisses me off. <laughs> um, so you've been able to cultivate an environment over this, over time of mostly positive things that you encounter in your day to day life. Mm -hmm. uh, what about some of the negative things? Do you have an experience, like a, a person, maybe like close to you that you have? Oh, had I've got an ex wife. Yeah. So how do you, what about those things that you can't avoid that do consistently cause frustration? Uh, I think, great question. I think that um, compassion, empathy, I think forgiveness is a big one. I mean, I actually just recorded a podcast with my 17-year-old daughter yesterday where she shares her story about, I mean, basically her mom driving her to extreme self-harm in a suicide attempt. Uh. And... I could do nothing about that. You, you want to talk about a frustrating, fucked up situation. Yeah. And, and then her stepdad, after she got out of the hospital, her stepdad smacked her on the ass and admired her ass in her jeans. And, and then her mom kicked her out of the house because it was too uncomfortable. So I have her now 100% of the time. And I've had her for two years. And this last year in school, she just crushed it. I mean, she just, she's happier, she's healthier. She's doing all these amazing things. Like she just placed fifth in speech and debate in state. Um, she's going to girls stage. She's in youth and government president of that club. She's doing improv comedy. She's doing model UN. Like she's geeking out all over the place and getting straight A's. And so that's really rewarding for me. But, you know, two years ago, it was the stuff in nightmares. And so, you know, it, it's a really a daily practice in how do you not give this person control of your emotions? How do you not hand the emotional remote control to a person who is mentally unwell? 
and it yeah. takes daily practice. And, and one of the things I would do, I, I, I mean, we had a terrible divorce back in 2013 and I would use loving kindness messages like in court while she's lying on the stand to the judge. And I can't show any anger because then I'm the angry ex, right? Yeah. So I just sat there looking at her thinking, may you be happy, may you be healthy, may you live life with ease and well-being. And then I'd throw a little dig in there like, may you learn to be honest. <laughs> now, I don't know if that does anything for her, but I can tell you what it does for me. And it relaxes my physiology. It brings my heart rate down. It relaxes the muscle tensions. It, it deepens my breathing. So it's activating the parasympathetic nervous system or the rest and digest response, the relaxation response. And that's massive. It's huge because I can't control her. I know she's going to lie. I know she's going to gaslight. I know she's going to distort reality. I know all that stuff. Hmm. But what do I do about it? And the best I can do is manage myself and my reactions. I'm not going to change her. No, but you can tell her what you're feeling or tell, not oh, I don't, in that case, I don't even think it, it it's not even worth bringing that up because she doesn't care. And she'll what just, is, she'll tell me I don't feel that way. <laughs> Some people are, are twisted. Um, yeah. What about, what's the, I understand what you're saying to, to ask them yourself those questions and give yourself those um, may you questions, but that may you piece, why do you, um, I, I am having trouble interpreting it. Why are you, why are those the first two words of the, the questions that you ask? Uh, may you be happy? Oh, okay. So there, well, there's two differences. One, one is when so in dealing with someone that's really frustrating you. So you wish kind thoughts upon them. The other is may I, and you're telling yourself like kind of as a, a meditation or mantra. <clears throat> and, and the reason for that is, so that phrasing has been around for several thousand years. And they've done a lot of research recently on loving kindness as a meditation in terms of how, how it affects us positively. And so there's a lot of legs to this phrasing. And, and I think it's because if I were to tell myself, I am happy, I am healthy, there's fiefdoms in our head, right? There's other voices. There's an inner critic, just as an example. And so if I say I'm happy, and I try and convince myself I'm happy, there's going to be almost inevitably another voice which says, no, you're not. Fuck you. Yeah. Uh, have you had that experience? Like where there's oh, five times at war, right? As soon as you started explaining. I, I knew that. <laughs> and so, you know, to, to make a statement like that, you're going to have an internal argument. So that doesn't work. So I like the phrasing of may I, may I be happy because it's, it's an assertive request that you can't argue back against. I don't think mm -hmm. because you're not saying I am, you're saying, may I in the near future be happy. And it's that seems to fall in your mind without mm -hmm. adversity or conflict. Yeah. And then the, it's not really a question to some higher power. It's just may I, in terms of kind of like, shall I be happy? It's a request. Yeah. It's a polite request. And, and I think the more you insert thoughts like that in your head, the more you're countering the negativity bias, which we all have. And the negativity bias says that we overfocus on negative shit, negative emotions, negative thoughts, negative self-definitions. I'm an asshole. I'm too fat. Nobody likes me. Um, and negative behaviors, negative things people might be thinking about us. 
And we tend to naturally focus on that stuff, which from an evolutionary perspective has kept us alive. But that negativity bias doesn't serve us well in this day and age when there's very little life and death threat. Mm-hmm. So we have to find ways to counter that. Yeah. And, you know, the mind, I like Rick Hansen's line that the mind is like, let's see if I can get this right. The mind is like Velcro for the negative and Teflon for the positive. So we got to find ways to let the positive stay longer and ways to let go of the negative sooner. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of value you're offering to me today. I really appreciate it. Um, I would love to talk to you more, but I'm afraid that you might have another meeting coming up soon. And I probably uh, no problem. Last 30 minutes, but um, I really appreciate your time and all the value you provided. I do want to give you the opportunity to um, let our audience know where they can find you if they oh, also thank you. interested in you. So the podcast is The Evolved Caveman. It's on all the major platforms. I don't know, Apple, Google, Amazon, Spotify, whatever they are. Um, and I'm taking a break for that from that for the summer, which I normally do. And then it comes out weekly. Um, but there's about 200 episodes out. So plenty of backlog to go through. The websites are guide to self.com and the evolved caveman.com. So you can find out more there. And do you have any um like personal accounts like that you would want people to reach you at? Uh let's see. On Insta, it's the Evolved Caveman. On Twitter, it's John Shin, because it's a really old account, J-O-H-N-S-C-H-I-N. Um I think those are the main ones. All right. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Again, um, can't thank you enough. Thank you, uh, John. Yeah, my pleasure. I really enjoyed the conversation.